2: Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, February 23rd. I'm
3: Teresa Watson. And in for Leslie Palma, I'm Anthony Vassone. Thanks for joining us this evening. In our opening top story tonight, you won't believe what may be polluting our drinking water. Our guest, Christy Hamrick from Students for Life will be with us to discuss the letter they delivered to the EPA.
2: Super Tuesday is right around the corner. What exactly is at stake for the candidates? I'll have all the details and other updates in political news in a nutshell.
3: Frozen embryos have personhood rights and cannot be destroyed according to the Alabama Supreme Court. What ramifications does this have for parents of these frozen embryos? I'll tell you all about it, as well as all the pro-life happenings in abortion in the news.
2: Leslie Palmer will be live from CPAC. Please stay tuned. On February 5th, Kristen Hawkins, President of Students for Life America, delivered a letter to the Environmental Protection Agency asking the governmental watchdog to expand its tracking of forever chemicals to include those active in the first two drugs used in chemical abortion pills.
3: While the dangerous implications for women and pre-born children from the pills has been getting much needed attention over the last year through court cases, Students for Life has been groundbreaking in identifying additional harms that National Institutes of Health published studies show can extend to the environment, endangered species, and recreational waterways. Those concerns are detailed in a series of citizen petitions filed in 2023 with the FDA. Which are prerequisites to legal action against the agency that five times ignored requirements for thorough environmental analysis.
2: We have with us tonight Christy Hamrick, the Vice President of Media and Policy with Students for Life, to help us break down what all this means for the safety of our drinking
4: water. Welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. And honestly, thank you for raising this. Um, you know, it should have been enough that chemical abortion pills killed preborn children. And then it shouldn't have been enough that they also kill women, but now there's evidence that it kills the environment as well. And so, you know, we haven't raised these issues to replace the concerns for mothers and the preborn. Obviously, that motivates a lot of us who are pro life. But it, it, these same drugs, which have the active capacity to end uh, reproductive events for women, to end pregnancy for women, can impact can impact aquatic life, endangered species, uh, livestock. And you need to read that as our food supply. And in fact, then be in the drinking water. And when you consider that California is talking about recycling toilet water and they've made themselves a sanctuary state for abortion and they're shipping these pills all over the country and pushing these pills in state, we really do need to ask ourselves about what is the impact of government sanctioned corporate um, dumping of medical waste into our drinking water. And so we're calling on the EPA to begin tracking of the three active chemicals in the first of the two chemical abortion pills, which really do attack a pregnancy, but not just for women. And there are studies that show they impact other animals and, uh, and other life as well.
3: Christy, could you explain uh, what the term forever chemicals are and then what the implications are uh, to our water supply? Sure. And that's a really great
4: question, because what we have found, I mean, all of us, well, you know, people my age, you know, remember when they talked about lead paint and how this lead paint had ongoing active ingredients that impacted health. There are all kinds of chemicals in plastics and in um, manufacturing, which were washed into our water systems and they linger year after year after year. And so the EPA recently has begun some really aggressive activity in tracking forever chemicals and these are chemicals that don't break down like for example you take a, a pill um you know an ibuprofen and it passes through your body and it is metabolized and changed so that when it passes out of your body it becomes inert and it doesn't have an ongoing impact so quite a few things that we consume go through our bodies uh, and come out inert and ineffective for change But in chemical abortion pills, there are three ingredients that like forever um, chemicals, three active components that after they pass through our body, they are not changed and they continue to be active so that that which would end a pregnancy in a woman when you take the pill can end pregnancy and reproductive uh, life for water. It'll be in our water and then it can impact animals even plants, to be honest, uh, as well as, like I said, endangered species and aquatic life. So we did a lot of research at Students for Life to start a legal process. We have four citizens' petitions at the FDA, and these are what you have to do before you could sue, frankly, showing uh, NIH published studies, they're from other countries, that these active metabolites are being found in water and are being found to have an impact on other life forms like, like fish, for example. So this is what we're trying to do. We're saying to the EPA, in the interest of fairness, and frankly, since you're interested in Forever Chemicals, you should be tracking the ingredients of chemical abortion pills, especially when you consider that today, according to the Guttmacher Institute, more than half of all abortions are done with pills, and then the remains are flushed away. So, Christy, can
2: you go just a little bit into a little bit more detail, um, because You're saying that the mifepristone will get into the waterways, but there's also, you know, the, you know, I mean, could you, the the baby, right? I mean, that is, is being in many cases, as we know, flushed into the waterways as well. Can you go a little bit more into that?
4: Yes. Um, And what's interesting when you look at the, the chemicals, so you take this chemical and I think what's interesting is the gentleman who, and I use that term loosely, Created this, what he called unpregnancy pill. The New York Times did a huge profile of the father of the abortion pill. He literally got funding from the company that funded the drugs for the Nazis. Auschwitz was a property that was owned by that parent company. That's how connected it was. And this is not a natural component, it was created to interfere with pregnancy by blocking the pregnancy hormone progesterone. So when a woman takes it, it's in the blood, it's in the urine, it can be in the placenta tissue because it attacks the placenta. But the baby is a separate thing. Um, It's not necessarily in the baby's body. But again, we don't flush human remains into wastewater. And I think what's particularly pernicious about how the Biden administration has set this up is, you know, hospitals don't flush placentas down the drain. They're handled like very careful medical waste. Abortion vendors like Planned Parenthood can't flush human remains down the drain. That was one of the things that was charged against Dr. Kermit Gosnell, the convicted murderer in Pennsylvania, that he was grinding up human bodies and putting them down the drain. You can't do that. So the pill industry, the abortion pill industry, has gotten a special sanction from the Biden administration for pollution, both of human remains. And I think it's logical that we understand that we can't put body parts in our water, in our drinking system, uh, but then of chemically tainted blood and tissue, placenta tissue in particular, and that's where the active components are. We're very concerned about the presence of human bodies again in our drinking water. The chemicals that we can track uh, that, that we can track are in the placenta tissue and in the blood and urine. So. Why um, are these
2: restrictions and standards then for disposable medical waste? Why aren't they the same standards that
4: are being applied to chemical abortions? Well, Teresa, that is the million dollar question, isn't it? You know, why has the Biden administration allowed the abortion industry to get away with pollution? I mean, they're gonna take my gas stove, which I love. They're gonna get rid of our cars because maybe the environment will hurt, but you're gonna put human remains and chemicals in the water because you have not insured, uh a system for handling medical waste. And that's the thing, you know, I do a lot of interviews on this as you can probably tell and uh, reporters, hostile reporters often will ask me, well, how are they gonna conduct business? And my response is, I don't care how they choose. You know, I'm not here to make abortion safer. I'm here to say that if we're gonna have pollution requirements that don't allow dumping human remains in the wastewater, it has to apply to everybody. The abortion industry could go with red bag medical waste where it is captured and treated and disposed of like medical waste. But again, as a pro-life activist, I'm not trying to make their business model work. None of us could start a business that dumps refuse into the waterways and then say, well, gee, it's going to be hard for me to make a profit if I can't dump my waste in the water. That wouldn't be allowed for us for any other business. But that is what the Biden administration has done with chemical abortion pills. It is allowed government-sponsored corporate pollution on a mass scale. The New York Times says in, in Europe, chemical abortion pills account for 75% of all abortion. But when you look at studies in Finland and other places, it gets into the 90s. And let's look at a, a different way. More than nine in 10 abortions take place in the United States by 12 weeks. The FDA says you can sell the pills to 10 weeks. The, um, the, the Planned Parenthood sells them actively on their website to 11. The World Health Organization says you can go to 12 weeks, but they're doing testing around the world to take it far longer into pregnancy. There's every reason to believe that more than 90 percent of the waste of abortion can be in our drinking water in a very short period of time. And we need to ask that. And again, I think that's what we're trying to say in the interest of fairness. In the interest of environmental justice, which is their word, not our word, we should stop pollution from chemical abortion pills. If that interferes with your business model and that shuts you down, well, that's on you for setting up corporate dumping as your business practice. But the EPA should be tracking these chemicals so we can have a sense of the environmental harms to us and our food supply. That's only fair, and that's what the law allows.
3: That's all very concerning, Christy. So uh, what can we and our viewers at home, what can we do to help?
4: Well, I would ask you to call your members of Congress. We are circulating a letter shortly to Congress asking them to demand this of the EPA. Congress can do that. I certainly don't expect the Biden administration to grow a conscience when it comes to chemical abortion pills, but our members of Congress can demand that we start tracking it so we can at the least have a baseline to understand just how deadly as a continuing issue it is for all of us. And I think when you look at states like California, where Governor Newsom holds himself out as the savior of abortion, with an abortion sanctuary state, just today in the New York Times, there's an article talking about all these states in Massachusetts and California and Washington state that are mailing these pills into other states in violation of state laws. This is a real problem. And it's not just going to affect women and preborn children. And that should be enough. And it's not just going to empower abusers to drug women against their knowledge of consent, and that's happening. It is perhaps going to hurt all of us. And so it's a wake-up call, and it's a wake-up call that we're really trying to sound, that there are so many things dying with these pills. These pills kill, maybe even kill the environment. Wow. Well, like Anthony
2: mentioned, this information is quite troubling, and we thank you, Christy, for taking the time to help us understand the severity of the situation. We hope you'll come back and then keep us updated on the progress. I sure will, and call your congressman, everybody. <laughs> Thanks Absolutely. so much. Thank you, Thanks, Christy. Christy. Good, Good night. night. Super Tuesday, traditionally one of the most important dates on the U.S. political calendar, is fast approaching, though it feels a little anticlimactic this year with both President Biden and former President Donald Trump doing their best to skip ahead to the general election. Super Tuesday is the day in the presidential primary cycle when the most states vote. The exact number varies by year, but it is common for a third of all delegates to be awarded to the Republican or Democratic conventions on Super Tuesday. This year, it will account for 874 of the 2,429 Republican delegates, or 36 percent. By the time Super Tuesday is over, 1,151 of the total will have been allocated this primary season. This year, it is Tuesday, March 5th, with a total of 15 states voting. These states are Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina. Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. One territory, American Samoa, will also vote. We will also learn the results of the Democratic contest in Iowa, which is being held by mail over several weeks. I'm sure you remember Iowa Republicans held their caucuses in mid-January. Here's a little history on Super Tuesday. The term Super Tuesday has existed since the 1970s, But in its early days it was sometimes used to refer to the last big collection of primaries not the first according to the national constitution center its modern usage was cemented in the 1980s as states moved their primaries earlier on the calendar to try to increase their influence the shift was driven by southern states that after the landslide general election loss of the liberal walter mondale in 1984 wanted to give their say early enough in the process to push the Democratic Party toward a more conservative nominee in 1988. However, it did not work. Senator Al Gore of Tennessee split the Super Tuesday states with the Reverend Jesse Jackson and Governor Michael Dukakis of Massachusetts won the party's nomination. But that result ended up being an exception. More often than not, since 1988, In both parties, a clear front-runner has emerged from Super Tuesday and become the nominee. In other states, South Carolina's primary will be held on February 24th, Michigan's is on February 27th, and Missouri and Idaho's caucuses are on March 2nd. Please be sure to get out and vote. Governor J.B. Pritzker pro-abortion Democrat will make two big appearances this week. Wednesday, he'll present his vision for the state in his annual budget address to the Illinois General Assembly, including a request of $182 million to help care for the stream of asylum seekers coming to Illinois. And Saturday, he'll put on his political hat and rally Democrats in Nevada ahead of a primary election that includes a referendum on abortion rights. Now in his second term, Pritzker remains a popular figure in Springfield and a name that continues to pop up nationwide as an outspoken supporter of President Joe Biden and a potential presidential candidate himself one day. On Saturday, Pritzker will attend the Nevadans for Reproductive Freedom rally in Las Vegas to kick off a campaign to qualify an abortion rights constitutional amendment for the 2024 Nevada ballot. Pritzker's national PAC, Think Big America, is helping support the effort to the tune of $1 million dollars. Pritzker will speak in support of the effort and the media will be watching for him to take a poke at Trump over news last week that the former president favors a national ban on abortions after 16 weeks of pregnancy. This time, what happens in Vegas will go national. Federal law enforcement and cybersecurity officials are warning the nation's state election administrators that they face serious threats ahead of November's presidential election. Secretaries of State and state election directors must be ready for potential cyber attacks, both familiar and uncomfortably new, according to the feds. And they must remain vigilant about possible threats to their personal safety. Voter databases could be targeted this year through phishing and ransomware attacks, election officials were told. Bad actors, both foreign and domestic, are trying to erode confidence in the integrity of elections through dis- and misinformation, and advancements in artificial intelligence present unprecedented challenges to democracy. The threat environment, unfortunately, is very high, said Tim Langen, Executive Assistant Director to the Criminal Cyber Response and Services Branch of the FBI, speaking last week at the Winter Conference of the National Association of Secretaries of State in Washington. It is extremely alarming. And that's political news in a nutshell.
3: The Alabama Supreme Court ruled last week that frozen embryos have personhood rights and cannot be destroyed. The first-of-its-kind ruling raises questions about the future of in vitro fertilization and could leave the parents of frozen embryos and the clinics where they are stored liable for civil penalties. According to the Washington Post, the case centered on whether a patient who mistakenly dropped and destroyed other couples' frozen embryos could be held liable in a wrongful death lawsuit. The court ruled the patient was liable, writing that it had long held that unborn children are children and that includes frozen embryos. The fertilized eggs awaiting implantation now have the same protection as babies under the wrongful death of a minor act. Denise Burke, senior counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, called the ruling a tremendous victory for life. The Southern US state's largest hospital has paused its in vitro fertilization services in the wake of the decision over fears that it could expose them to criminal prosecution. The University of Alabama at Birmingham Health System said it would continue retrieving eggs from women's ovaries, but it said it would halt the next step in the IVF process in which the eggs are fertilized with sperm before being implanted into the uterus. We are saddened that this will impact our patients' attempt to have a baby through IVF, the leading state medical provider said in a statement, but we must evaluate the potential that our patients and physicians could be prosecuted criminally or face punitive damages for following the standard of care for IVF treatments. Researchers who are employed by the abortion industry last week released a study purporting to reveal that chemical abortion dispensed remotely, with no physical examination, is just as safe as chemical abortions that begin with a visit to an abortionist. The mainstream media dutifully reported the study, published in the journal Nature, but as it's true of all research funded and performed by abortion advocates, this one should be taken with a boatload of salt. The timing of the study's release was suspicious as it followed on the heels of another journal retracting another study that found chemical abortion to be much more dangerous for women than surgical abortion. And the new study was published just a month before the U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments in a case that could significantly impact the way the abortion pill, mifepristone, is distributed and how late in pregnancy it can be used. Charlotte Lozier, researcher and pro-life activist Dr. Michael New, gave his impressions of the new study in an opinion piece in the National Review. He noted that researchers lost track of nearly a quarter of the women it had been following, which could skew the results, as women who suffered adverse effects would probably be less likely to respond to a follow-up survey. All of the authors work for pro-abortion groups, and one of them works for the manufacturer of mifepristone. None of the authors reported a conflict of interest. Abortion is still legal in Wyoming, but there are no laws on the books regulating the operation of abortion businesses. A bill passed Monday in the House would change that, calling for the state's sole abortion facility to be treated the same way as other ambulatory surgery clinics in the state. Julie Burkhart, owner of the abortion facility in Casper, spoke out against the bill via Zoom, saying her business would be harder to operate if it had to meet the minimum standards outlined in the bill. But the bill's sponsor, Republican Representative Martha Lawley, said the state has an obligation to protect the health and safety of women. Ballot initiatives that seek to invent a right to abortion in a state's constitution have been so successful since the downfall of Roe v. Wade that up to a dozen states are hoping to put the issue before voters in November. But the seemingly bottomless well of money that has funded these pro-abortion campaigns could be drying up. Politico reported this week that deep pocket organizations that have funded the ballot initiatives now are torn between the constitutional changes and the presidential and congressional races. The ACLU Planned Parenthood Reproductive Freedom for All, the Fairness Project, Think Big America, and other groups are expected to spend tens of millions of dollars on these ballot initiatives, which has them looking at proposals most assured of a victory. But in pro-life friendly Arkansas, no one's coming to save us, said Jenny Diaz, executive director of the Group for AR People, the group leading the ballot campaign. Without seven-figure support, Diaz said, the ballot measure cannot win in November. So far, they have received no funding from national groups and just $30,000 from individual donors. A ballot proposal in South Dakota is the subject of a new bill in the legislature that would allow people to remove their signature from ballot petitions. People have approached me and they said, hey, I signed that abortion petition because I thought it was pro-life. That's what they led me to believe, said the bill sponsor, Rep- Representative Del Hansen, who also serves on the board of directors of Southern Dakota Right to Life. The bill passed the House 59 to 9 and now moves to a Senate committee. A Republican prosecutor in Wisconsin has asked the state Supreme Court to decide whether an 1849 law that had been interpreted as protecting most babies from abortion does, in fact, refer to the procedure. A lower court ruled that the law was put in place to punish those who kill an unborn child in the act of attacking the baby's mother, but does not prohibit abortion. The lower court ruling prompted Planned Parenthood to resume killing the unborn at its abortion mills in three Wisconsin cities. A law passed last year in Utah effectively banned abortion businesses from operating in the state, but it was immediately put on hold when Planned Parenthood filed a lawsuit. Now a new bill passed by the House Committee Tuesday would repeal the parts of the law that are being challenged in the lawsuit. The new bill is a Republican effort to get the rest of the law enacted to protect most babies from abortion. Abortion remains legal until 18 weeks until the state Supreme Court issues a ruling in the case. And that's abortion in the news.
1: Hi, it's Leslie Palma. I'm reporting from CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference at the Gaylord National Harbor in Maryland. I'm here with Priest for Life National Director, Frank Pavone, and while he's a veteran of this conference, it's the first time that I'm here. And it's pretty amazing. Americans from all over the country, more than a thousand, I think, uh, are drawn here to hear what the media, the mainstream media just will not report. And over three days of a packed schedule, they hear from a diverse group of leaders on every subject that's important to conservatives. There was just one pro-life panel here, and, but it was very, very powerful. Um, a young man named Abraham Enriquez from Bienvenido, U.S. questioned Brandi Swindell, the founder of Stanton Healthcare, and Penny Nance, the CEO and president of Concerned Women for America, about a variety of pro-life topics. Uh Brandy was asked about charges from politicians like Senator Elizabeth Warren that the pregnancy help centers are fake clinics. And uh, I'd like to hear I'd like you to hear what she had to say about that.
5: Um, The center that I founded in 2006 is actually a network, a movement of life-affirming women's medical clinics. We're non-profit, we don't charge for any of our services. We're state-of-the-art, and we specialize in providing exceptional care to women who are facing unexpected pregnancies. So we have nurses and doctors and physician assistants and sonographers, social workers, um, health and wellness coaches. The list goes on and on. We provide an 18-month care program uh, to women to walk through them through the journey of their pregnancy and beyond. And of course, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, when Roe was overturned, mm-hmm. they thought it would be a good idea to turn their, their vitriol, their anger, and their hate On nonprofit women's centers that actually help women. That's right. right? Mm -hmm. So, really, there is truly no pro choice concept if you want to shut down the other half of the so called choice. Mm So what we did in response to that is we took three of our moms and three of our Stanton babies to Washington, DC. We went to Capitol Hill, and we went right to AOC's office and Elizabeth Warren's office. Because you know, it's much harder to look into the eyes of a baby that was saved from abortion and look into the eyes of a woman, a mother, who experienced help and hope at a center like Stanton Healthcare. You cannot deny their experience. Mm -hmm. It wasn't fake, right? It wasn't fake. We didn't give them fake formula. We didn't give them a fake ultrasound. We didn't give them a fake 18-month care program. They didn't get access to fake doctors. It was all very, very real.
1: Brandy also uh, talked about the many ways that women, that moms can be coerced into aborting their babies by boyfriends or husbands, by parents, even most insidiously by the abortion industry itself. And she uh, announced the uh, launching of a new initiative called End Abortion Abuse.
5: America has a problem. It's an abortion abuse problem. Mm -hmm. What exactly is abortion abuse? It's when a woman is forced or pressured into an unwanted abortion. Let me give you three scenarios. Thank God the outcome of your situation turned out so beautifully. Um, but that, does, that isn't always the case with women. Um, I'll tell you real quick uh, a story in Idaho that just re- recently happened this last year. It was a teenager from Pocatello, Idaho, my home state, who was taken across state lines. Thankfully, we have an abortion ban. When Roe was overturned, we had our trigger law in place. She was taken across state lines, a teenager, by her boyfriend and the boyfriend's mother against her will, and they forced her to get an abortion. And the court documents, the affidavit says that she communicated clearly she did not want an abortion, and she was overjoyed to have a baby. This was done without her parents' knowledge. Thankfully, the parents did find out, and a mama bear is not very happy at all. And so they have pressed charges. And this the this this boyfriend and mother are being prosecuted. And it's going through the criminal courts in the state of Idaho. That's right. This baby deserves justice. And this mother deserves justice. Again, there are tens of thousands of women nationwide that endure situations just like that. Another one, a Stanton client several years came to us. The mother came to us. She had to come in after work at 8 o'clock at night so her boyfriend wouldn't know. Our sonographer stayed late. Our nurse stayed late did the ultrasound the mother started crying and said I don't want to do this but I have to and our nurse and sonographer said what do you mean do what she said get the abortion they said you don't have to get the abortion we'll help you she said no you don't understand crying I don't want to do it but I have to do it And they said, no, you don't have to. One more time, I have to do it. They finally got her to admit her boyfriend the night before had put a gun to his head and said, if you don't abort this baby, I'm going to kill myself. That's abortion abuse. And when a weapon's involved, either he's going to kill himself or he's going to kill her or shoot the baby in the womb, we don't know. But thank God we were able to come alongside her and we were able to get her out of that abusive situation. We were able to get a police escort so she could get her belongings. She could get her dog, get out of that situation. And her little girl, Paulina, Mm -hmm. who I'm allowed to share her name, is 14 years old today. Another beautiful story. And you may have heard, right? Isn't that amazing? One more story to show how common this is. P. Diddy, he's a a musician, an Mm -hmm. artist. Recently, there have been several women, ex-girlfriends, who have come forward. There are at least two who have said, he forced us to get abortions. He was mentally, verbally, and physically abusive and forced them to get abortions. So there's the act of, of abuse leading up to the abortion, and then there's the actual abortion, which is a criminal act. So our heart with this abortion abuse campaign is, number one, abortion trauma is real, We can't turn a blind eye to it. Planned Parenthood has normalized it and enabled it. We cannot do that anymore as a society. Number two, if you are a victim or a survivor of abortion abuse, we believe you, we stand with you, and we will not abandon your stories, and there is help and hope. And number three, we have got to end abortion abuse as a society. So we are working with lawmakers on a federal level, a state level, to enact legislation that makes sure that abortion abuse is treated as the crime that it is. We are right at the beginning of this campaign. We're building our website right now. Write it down. Put it in your phone to endabortionabuse.com. The site will be live soon. Without even awesome. being officially launched, we have 2,000 affidavits of confirmed, documented cases of abortion abuse. A day of reckoning is coming. A day of hope is coming for women and their children. Amen.
1: And then Penny, recently back from speaking on college campuses, wa- wanted to make sure that the audience understands who the true abortion extremists are.
6: When this issue comes up, you need to understand. The other side believes abortion should be legal anytime, any reason, any number at any point in gestation, all paid for by the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. That is an extremist position. That's what they believe. And so, as, as the pro life community, our position is much more, maybe they're not in, in step with me. May, the vast majority, if you look at all the polling, the, it isn't the majority of Americans who are, agree with me at this point, I believe we can change that, that, that life begins at conception and must be protected from conception until natural death. The whole continuum and ethic of life is essential, and it's a part of who we are. We understand the importance of every human being. Um, but they're not, even if a person doesn't agree with me, they don't agree with Joe Biden. They don't agree with Elizabeth Warren. They don't agree that people are
1: disposable. And finally, Abraham told a very moving story about a young woman who became pregnant in high school and what happened to her. So I'll leave you with that.
0: And it kind of brings me back to a story of a young girl that I love to share, who at a very early age became witch out uh, from a very terrible situation. She found herself in, in her guidance counselor of her high school. Uh, where the guidance counselor told her that she needed to go to this clinic to check up and, and to figure out what was happening. Uh, and you know, after several weeks, the father of the son was no longer there. Friends were no longer there. This idea of college was no longer an option. And she found herself in this clinic With the physician walks in, tells her to write down all her dreams, all her goals, everything that she wanted to accomplish in life. And this young girl quickly started writing down how she wanted to go to college, get married, start a family, start a business. For a quick second, she felt some hope hands that piece of paper back to the physician, and the physician rips it into little pieces and says, none of this will ever be accomplished with what you are carrying inside. Mm. I want to fast forward just a little bit. That young girl chose life because of the support of her her parents. But she went on and accomplished every single thing on that piece of paper, but then realized the power of policy, Mm -hmm. decided to help candidates who were running on the pro-life issue, most recently supported President Trump on his Latinos for Trump campaign. And that woman is my mom yeah. mm-hmm. that young child she gave birth to is me thank you so much
3: for joining us on pro-life primetime news produced at priest for life headquarters in titusville florida
2: if you like our show please support us by making a donation to prolifegift.org these donations help fund all of our work here at Priest for life which enables us to continue educating equipping and activating god's people to end abortion For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on X at Pro-Life News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager.
3: I'm Anthony Vassone, Resource Associate. And remember, life is the only choice.
1: This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.